I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. I'm very thankful for this church sending and allowing me to go on a vacation to Cameroon. It's really a blessing to be with my daughter Grace and to be with her and spend that time seeing her experience and minister to and be ministered to in a different culture and the Church of Jesus Christ in Africa. Technically, it's Central Africa. I thought it was West Africa. It's Central Africa. And to be with Mike Whitehead and Jim Thompson, who we roomed together, or we stayed in the same house, and we really got to know each other really well. And it was a blessing to have them serve me over and over again and just pray for me and encourage me and for us to have so many conversations and to observe a lot of things and to be with Brian and Heather and Didune and his wife and the seminary called Bethlehem and pastors and little churches and bigger churches and more charismatic-like churches that dance and those that seem stoical and some that were in rural areas and some were in the heart of the city. It's really, really a great time. As I said, I used to, in the last two weeks, saying a phrase, waiting for a French interpreter to repeat the phrase in French. And it's nice to do it all in English this morning. I want to talk about ministry. I want to talk about ministers. And not ministers merely what we think of in America, a minister like a pastor. He's the minister of that church. In this church now we have six ministers that way, elders or pastors. Several of them were serving, and several of them were serving at the funerals while the senior pastor was in one country and the other staff pastor was doing a river trip. We had other pastors serving in funerals and in the congregation, but I want to talk about you being in the ministry. I want to show you a picture here. Uh, This is a a picture of the first week at Cameroon as we gathered. There's about a hundred mostly men. In fact, I think they're almost, I think they're all men, except you can see Grace. (laughs) She tells me she wasn't the only woman in that picture, but I don't, oh, I see one right next to her. I see, see Pastor Emile's wife. These are all ministers or aspiring ministers to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to show you the next slide. Here's another group of ministers or servants. As you can see, this is at Bethlehem, and we gave out shirts of Faith Church, and they loved them, and they immediately put them on, and they wanted to have a group picture. And these these are ladies, either seminary wives or members of the church that did the cooking for a meal that we had all together with the seminary and groups that were there. And I I highlight these two pictures as representatives of not pastors necessarily, but ministers called to a service. And I'm calling you, I want to challenge you towards that as we listen to the Apostle Paul speak of this in 
2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're kind of in between series. I finished Colossians, and when I'm not preaching, we had, we've had Dan, and next in a couple weeks it will be Jason, and we've had Mike and others preach on passages that are the one another passages in the New Testament. Our responsibility one to another, but as we're in between, as I move to another series in the fall, I want to take several weeks and look at some of these middle chapters in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and and chapter 5 as Paul talks about his service and in some ways defends his ministry. He defends why he's doing it and why some people have accused him for almost being a little kooky, a little strange, a little crazy in the head. He was a little too radical or sometimes a little too simple, like He wasn't as talented when it came down to his oratory skills. He may have not grabbed an audience in the same way as some of the speakers were, and they were actually wondering, are you really a faithful apostle? And he had to defend himself while demonstrating his love for them and why he was doing what he was doing. This morning, I want to read this passage, and I want to call you to a type of ministry And I pray that we would all, by these chapters, starting this morning with these six verses, I hope we'll get shaken. We need a little shaking here. Some of you need to be shaken in such a way that I pray that in this room, either this morning or this week or in the next few weeks, God will save you. You will no longer be perishing And instead, you will serve a new master and it will change everything in your life and you'll be baptized and you'll follow Christ. And some of you, many of you, most of you, will be called in a new type of way. Maybe it will be called to the same thing you've been called over and over again, but just another step of God growing you. Let's look at these verses. Verses 1 through 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, therefore... Having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart, we don't faint or give up, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, which is ultimately in the gospel, but by the open statement of the truth. We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, But Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, as Lee prayed, we come in Jesus' name. I come and and I pray that you would speak and shine your light this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 
In these verses, Paul is speaking of a ministry, a service to God. When you see that word ministry, he was called to something and he says he received it by God's mercy. And he says that no matter what is going on, he is not going to faint or give up. Second Corinthians is a letter that is very different in tone than Colossians or Ephesians or Philippians or almost really any other letters. First and second Corinthians are unique in that he is actually facing a type of opposition in which he needs to defend himself and the audience of that letter does not immediately accept him with the authority that they should have accepted him. They look at him a little sideways and he's going to defend himself. This is a ministry of God that Paul was called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, a particular message of what Jesus, who Jesus is, and what he has done, and what it means, and this passage says, is Christ is Lord. Now look, scan with me on these verses, and you see he talks about that he will not tamper with God's word in verse 2. He says, instead, with the open statement of the truth, he would commend himself to others' consciences. He talks about the gospel being veiled. He talks about the gospel of the glory of Christ, verse 4. He says that he is to preach Christ in verse 5 or proclaim him, not himself, but Jesus as Lord. Paul was about a message the gospel of Jesus that brought salvation to those who are lost. And as I already said, he's facing facing people that are looking at him and saying, Paul, are you really the right guy? You're suffering all the time. You spend time in prison. You have a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. You get that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Something physical that was bothering Paul. You're in weakness. How could you be God's man when you're weak? And he was maybe not as eloquent as some of the speakers. He didn't attract the crowds or we call it tickling their ears and make them really happy. He didn't have the Joel Olstein effect going on in his life. There were people who followed leaders in Corinth because they delivered a message that was very flowery. A message that they wanted to hear. It was easy. It made them feel immediately good, but never really got to the root and really called them to the cross of Jesus Christ and to surrender. They were peddlers of God's word. They were probably making money from it, and they had wrong motives, and Paul was going to call them out in it, and they were actually deceivers. Now, in Cameroon, where I just came from, and America... We could call that prosperity gospel, a message that says you give your life to Christ, come to Jesus. He's going to prosper you. He wants to make your life better and healthier and you to be happier in an external sense. And he, you can live your best life now. A message that avoids the cross of Christ the Christian walk, a message that does not show that actually weakness is the way in which God usually works, namely Jesus in weakness coming to this earth and dying. Now, we as faith church here, I don't, a lot of us may not be susceptible to prosperity teaching like this, but we can go after other preachers 
that preach a, a weak truth or that makes us just feel good, doesn't challenge us with God's work or, or go deep and call us to radically following Jesus Christ. And as we come to these verses, and we look at them even in the next few months, but this morning, we're going to hear Paul giving a personal testimony of his ministry. And even if you're not, and most of you are not pastors or even going to be called to pastors, but you're called to a certain kind of ministry that I hope that God will shake you up this morning and call you to a specific way. So as we look at this passage, I want to challenge you in three ways. Just think, we don't, you don't have an outline on the back because I was working on it while I was in the airports and flying. So we don't have the outline, but here they are. I want you to see it this way. I want you to see a crisis. And then I want you to see a call. And I want you to see the key to it, all of this. A crisis, a call, and a key that is central to all of this, the crisis. Dear church, faith church, please listen. If you're visiting, if you're not a Christian, please listen. There is a crisis that is seen in these six verses as Paul talks about his ministry. And he shows us there are two categories of people and it should hit us with a type of weight and it quite often doesn't even though we know there are two categories. These categories are expressed a couple chapters earlier in 2 Corinthians 2 when Paul says that when he would go and he would preach the gospel, he said, we are an aroma, we are a smell from Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. There's the two categories, those who are being saved and those who are perishing. There are Two categories in the Fenton, Linden, Swartz Creek, Flint. Name your community, community, those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To one is life and to one is death. Either you are saved or you are perishing. It's a word we often don't use. It's an older term. Either that word means to be lost, be on the trajectory of destruction. It is being under the condemnation of God, facing the almighty wrath of God unless something happens. And in this passage, we see Paul speaking to this reality. We see this category in verse 3. I just came from a nation that is perishing to another nation that is full of people who are perishing. So many living lives and yet unbelievers and they're perishing. And 2 Corinthians says about this crisis, what else do you call it? Is it just, is it just norm? The people around you, either they're surrendered to Christ and they have taken the call to Jesus, they've repented of their sins, and they believe, and they see Jesus differently. He's the king of kings. He is worthy to be praised. He is their master, and they believe on him to eternal life, or they're perishing. I just, I want you to think about those people in your life right now. They could be your children. They're not born saved. 
they're perishing apart from the saving grace of God. Your adult children, and I know many of you pray and pray and pray. Your friends that you hang out with, your coworkers, those that you do sports with with your kids, your grandchildren. Think about your fellow students, those that are in your class, those at Jersey Mike's. It's like half the teens work there now. (laughs) If they are not disciples of Jesus, now what does this passage say? I want to tell you a few things this passage says about this crisis and build on them. First of all, I want you to see this. To see the light of Christ is to be saved. Okay, I want you to think in that terms. To see the light of Jesus Christ, been singing of Christ, to see the light of who Jesus is. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The light came into darkness, and the darkness did not overcome the light. If to see the light of Jesus truly is to be saved, because if you truly see the light of Jesus, you will believe if you really see it. The problem is we don't see it. Many of you have shared testimonies, whether it be at The Rock, whether that be in Sunday school, whether it be in this church or another scenario where you said, I heard the gospel, and though I heard it before, something happened, and now I saw Jesus, and I was saved. When a person truly sees the light, their heart, they will believe. They will be like Lazarus. When Lazarus came out of the tomb in John chapter 11, Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead corpse did what any dead corpse would do when, a live, when the eternal God who gives life from the dead says, come forth. He didn't think that, well, I don't really want to. I don't really believe. He, see, hearing the voice of Jesus in that way, he couldn't help but come forth, and he did. The other thing I want you to see, to see the light of Jesus truly in the, of the eyes of the heart is to be saved. Second thing I want you to see is the gospel is the way the light of Christ is revealed. We want, you, you need, all of us need to say, oh God, please help those that are perishing, my neighbors, my friends, my coworkers, they're perishing If only they'll see the light of Jesus, they'll be saved. How do they see the light of it? It's the gospel. It's the way the light of Christ is revealed. Look at verse 3. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. Even though the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, little G-O-D, not not big G-O-D. It's not the God of the world. The God that's Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing, here it is, the light. The light of what? The light of the gospel. And what is the gospel? It shows the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. To see Christ in the gospel is to see what is necessary to be saved. And do you see what this passage says? That everyone is blind apart from, let's just see this, Satan blinds people to keep them from seeing Christ in the gospel lest they be saved. 
I mean, have you ever wondered why over and over again you might have heard at church or in Sunday school or from your parents or from Billy Graham or from some other way you heard it and then at some point you heard it like you had never heard it before and you were saved? It was because before that, Satan was blinding you. God of this world, which is Satan, was keeping you from seeing. And there was a veil. You were veiled. The gospel was veiled over you. Those, and what we find in this passage, those people are called unbelievers. He says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And it says here, they are perishing. Now, if that's not a crisis, I don't know what is. If that's not a crisis to wake up to every day, and in this life, Paul gave us a type of way of living mindset. He said, I am sorrowful, but always rejoicing. We're always rejoicing because of the songs, the truth of the songs we sang, the truth of what Dan led us in communion. We have had our sins forgiven. His love is upon us. He loves us. He will never let us go. We want to grow to know that love, but we have around us those who are perishing. And so we are to live with a type of heaviness, a burden, a mission, a type of mind, because there's a crisis all around us. There are, there are gospel-blinded people everywhere. Some of you in this room are right now being gospel-blinded by Satan. And yet, God in his sovereignty has allowed you to be in this room. Some of you, week after week, you think you're a Christian. Some of you know you're not a Christian. And you hear the truth. And I pray that today, or very soon, but today I invite you to the gospel. And I pray that you'll see Christ. You will receive him. You will ask him to forgive your sins. And you will throw yourselves upon him. And I pray that all of us would feel this crisis and say, though I'm called to my job... If, if you're a mom, you're called to your motherhood duties and, and being a wife. If you're a, a dad, you're called to being a father and a husband if you're married. If you're whatever it is, your job, you're called to those missions and mini, those services in this world. If you're a student, you're a student. Whatever it is, you're called a grandparent, you're a grandparent. If you're retired, you're called to think of it in a different kind of way. But each one of us live in a world, and if we're Christians... We've been rescued. We've, we once were blind, and yet we received mercy. And so we're different. We're on, we have a, there's a crisis around us, and we cannot just be okay with that. So I wonder for you, I just want you to stop for a minute and think about those who are perishing in your life. Think of it that way right now. Just do an inventory in your mind. So-and-so is perishing. My family, they're perishing. They, they will face the wrath of the Almighty God, not because God was unkind. Oh, God 
has given them the light of the gospel and over again, but they are blinded in their unbelief and they go their own way. And in this passage, it says there's a satanic work abounding. Now, the point isn't for us in this passage to just say, okay, what are we going to do about it? There's nothing. No. Second thing I want you to see is a call. There's a call. Paul was called out to a service, a ministry of the gospel. And though he is unique in that call, he is a special apostle, who, and, and there are no apostles today, and he was similar to a pastor, and he served pastors, and not all of us are called to it, but there is a certain way in which we can apply his ministry to all of our ministries, and you supporting the pastors to their ministry. Paul was called to manifest the gospel, the only hope for those who are saved that they needed to see because they're blinded. And what is this specific call we see in these verses? It is the clear proclamation of the gospel. Look at verse 2. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded way ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth. That was what Paul was commanded to do. We will proclaim trite, proclaim the truth, and ultimately that Jesus Christ is the truth, that only he saves. And it was through Paul's preaching and preaching the cross of Jesus Christ and that Jesus came and died on a cross And took their sins and that whoever who would believe on him and repent, they would be saved. And when he would preach, those that were in darkness came to life. I want you to see in verse 5 what he says. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. Paul says, I don't go about my life all about me. We are so wired to be about me. I am wired to be, and so are you. We are wired to be care about our concerns. And Paul says, no, I don't preach myself, but I preach Christ as, this is shorthand for the gospel in one sense, Christ as Lord. And what that meant is he would go and say, I want to tell you the story of what God has done. The man, Jesus Christ, is the promised one from God. He is the real and true God who came to earth. And he is the Lord of the world. And he died on the cross a a criminal's death. And he he explained why he did that and what it meant and that he rose from the dead. He is at the right hand of the Father and he made a proclamation. Hear ye, hear ye. The true Lord of the world is not Caesar in the Roman Empire. The true Lord of the world is not name whoever was ruling. It is Jesus who was crucified and is risen, and he will someday return, and you have a choice to bend the knee or perish. And he would proclaim the love and the grace of God, and hearts were open to the truth, and they repented of their sins. Some said, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said to the Philippian jailer, and you will be saved. I want to point you to verse 4 for just a minute once more. He says, for what we proclaim, that word really is, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for 
Jesus' sakes. This was Paul's call, and I, I, want, I pray that this would be your call. This would be my call, that we would live lives that say, I'm going to preach Christ. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not called to be a preacher. I'm, I'm, not, I'm a woman. I'm not, Paul says women aren't called to preach in the church in the same way. Well, that's true, but you are called That word just means to proclaim or share the good news in a way that's so true. And you are called to preach, and you are to preach Christ, the message of the gospel. Do you know the message of the gospel? Can you share it with someone else? Can you share it to those who are perishing? He says, I proclaim him as Lord. I came and I proclaim the testimony not, he says in 1 Corinthians 1, not with lofty speech or wisdom. He wasn't really great with his words at times compared to the great orators of his day. But he said, I decided to know nothing but Christ Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness. Paul was called to this type of ministry. And it says here that he served not himself, but he served others for Christ's sake. That phrase, he says, We preach, and that means that because I proclaim Christ, I am a servant to all because I, Jesus is my master. I take that. Next, in the following weeks, we're going to look at a particular passage in chapter 5. But Paul was going to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Because he has conclu- we have concluded that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You've been called, if you've been saved, to no longer live for yourself. You are called to care about those who are perishing around you. You are called to have a ministry, as we'll see in chapter 5, of reconciliation. God brought you to himself through the gospel. And you are called to be burdened about this calling for the rest of your life to bring others, your children, your family, your neighbors, those around you. And sometimes that means you're just always praying. And that sometimes means you are inviting, and that means you're always caring, and you're burdened. This crisis doesn't leave your mind, because Jesus is glorious, and you need him to be proclaimed. Now, this means that we need to see differently, Faith Church. We need to have eyes differently. We need to see Christ as so glorious that if only people will see him, they'll receive him. But I think that far too often I and you do not see Jesus as a treasure. Oh, we can answer all of the right questions. We can say, of course, Jesus is the Savior of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and it just we say the verse. We, we know things about him, but do we truly with the heart do we, that the eyes of our hearts go, he is the most precious person in the world. And though I don't love him like I ought, 
I love him way more than I used to, and he's growing to be the treasure of my heart, and I just long for him to be seen by others. And, and frankly, when we sing together, words can't express what is growing in my heart to sing of this Savior. Think about the difference between that kind of seeing of Jesus and how far too often Christians kind of see him. Paul saw Jesus in this way. Look back at the text of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If only they would see in the gospel this glorious Christ, and it's really the glory of God being revealed in his image. And just like when Moses looked upon the glory of God in in the book of Exodus, and he was, his face was shining, and he had to put a veil over it. You read about that actually in the chapter before, 2 Corinthians 3. And they couldn't even look upon him, and they put a veil over him. So it is when we see Christ for who he really is, it transforms us. Oh, pray, we need to pray that God will help us as a church to be revived. We pray for revival at Faith Church. Would you pray, God, please help me. I see Jesus. And I see the gospel, but oh God, I need to see it more. Please help me to see it. Help me to understand how good he is. Help me to understand what mom and dad have been telling me about the truth. Help me to understand what Pastor Mike has been teaching me about Christ. Help me to understand what Pastor Daniel, what I'm learning in the book, Knowing God. God, please, I know, but I need to know in a deeper way. I know that if, if I knew it like I ought to, I would be more different than I actually am. I still... I still find the world way too, I'm in love with it compared to Christ. And I know I love him, but not like I ought to. I need you to see it for us to be embracing the crisis that we have in front of us and the call that he's called us to take the message. We need to see, and in seeing, we need to savor him. And that just means we need to treasure him. We need to see him. We need to see him like Paul did in Philippians 3 when he said, when I've known Christ, I consider everything in my life, everything that I consider valuable, I consider as loss that I might know him. Because, because in knowing him, it's better than all of it. I don't, even, I don't even consider myself making a sacrifice. If I have seen and I know Christ and I have a relationship with him, that's every, anything. And I will do whatever he tells me to do. I'll go wherever he wants me to go. I will share him with others. Even though it's not me, it's him working through me. We need to see him and we pray that we'll savor him so that we'll share him with others. Because you see... They're perishing. Your family, my family is perishing. Your neighbors are perishing. Our community is perishing. America is perishing. The people at your work is perishing. And unless they see Jesus, if they see Jesus as he really is through the gospel and the glory of Jesus is shown to their hearts, They'll believe and be saved, but until that, and how are they going to see unless they hear 
And how are they going to hear unless you take it to them? Why do you think you exist at that workplace? Why do you think you exist in your block, in your neighborhood? Why do you think you exist in that relationship? It's not for your comfort. It's not for your advantage. He's he's already taken care of all your advantages. He cares for you. He's called you to a calling in the midst of a crisis. And there's no answer except you got to show him Jesus. You don't show him you. You have nothing. But you have Jesus. And what you have is Jesus that changes you. And you go, I'm a mess, but I, I was a bigger mess. And slowly by surely, he once for all justified me and saved me, and I'm still a work in progress. Oh, but I'm growing to love him, and I hope you'll know him. Would you come with me to church? Will you come to me to church and meet some of my friends, and would you hear the message? And would you just, I just, I think God would use this to change your life. I've said that there's a, a crisis, and I've said that there's a call, and I just want to say, what's the key to all of this? The key to all of this is not ultimately your actions and mine, though God uses our actions. God uses deliberate actions that say, I am going to embrace this crisis by embracing the call he's given to me, and I need to to know the gospel, I need to share the gospel, I need to see it better. God, please help me. The key to all of this, though, is we even see in these verses, look at verse 6. I want, you to, I want to reflect for just a minute, and then we'll close on verse 6. The key is the sovereign work of a creating triune God who works when we proclaim the gospel and people believe. When we proclaim the good news and I proclaim Christ, when you proclaim Christ and, and we invite them to receive Christ, there's a creating, mysterious, sovereign work that's going on. Look at verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did he do that? Genesis 1-3. In the beginning, was God made the heavens and the earth, and the earth was darkness and void. There was chaos. And he said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. Instantly. He just said, let there be light. Paul said, for God who said, let there be light, and there was light has shown in our hearts to give the light of the gospel. You want to know the explanation of why you got saved? At one moment in the history of your life, when you heard the gospel, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And you believed. You didn't know that at the time. You just, it, it was compelling and you saw Jesus like he really was, and you saw yourself needy and a sinner, and you needed, you, needed a turn, you needed to flee the wrath, and you needed to look to Jesus. But, but so many other people don't do that. So many other people don't see him as the true Savior. So many other people don't see that they're in need of a Savior. They don't do that. It's because they're blinded in some mysterious way. Paul just says, but God, who said, light, light, shine unto darkness, He says, he's shown in our hearts. And I can't help but think that Paul is telling this to the church and he is thinking as he is writing this letter, he's thinking of what's recorded in Acts 9. I was on my way to Damascus. I was causing, I was breathing threats on the church. 
I thought I was doing it in the name of the God of Israel, but reality, I was rejecting the God of Israel, and I was rejecting God's Messiah, Jesus Christ, and I was persecuting Christians. And while I was on the way to go execute more Christians, I saw a light from heaven, and it shone all around, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I looked up, and I blinded, and said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus, whom... You are persecuting. Paul is saying, I received mercy. I'm, I'm, a, I'm in this ministry by the mercy of God. I was an anti-Christian. I was the most unlikely convert in all of the Middle East. And God had mercy and said, let there be light. And that's why I do it. That's the key to it all. And he shone the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I know this is a lot to think about right now, just a lot of concepts, but think about it this way. What you and I all need more and more, what your neighbors and all those who are perishing need, they need the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me say it this more simply. They need to see Jesus truly, and in seeing Jesus, they see the glory of God, and it will knock them off their horse like it did with Paul in Acts chapter 9. And you and I could come up with the most creative story to get them all excited, and that's not what they ultimately need. They need the, the loving, compassionate, matched with a life that cares for them, message of the open statement of scripture, not with tampering words or deceit or insincerity, but in love, sharing this glorious truth with others. Oh, we need that. I, I say the key to it all is God working. We, that's why we pray and we pray and we pray and we share and we share. And sometimes we go, why is it not hitting? Why is it not happening? And we just keep going, God, would you please do it? Would you please do a work? And so here is my conclusion at the end of the sermon is, is pray. Start by praying. It's not where we're going to stop, but start by praying. Would you, if, if you're burdened about perishing because of this message this morning, if you're burdened about the crisis, start by praying, and not just casually, but start to commit to pray that God would help you see, and not just like get excited for a few minutes, but that God would change the directory of your mindset. Pray that God would give you a new determination and burden for those who are perishing. And pray that God would help you savor Jesus Christ more clearly and show him to others. And start praying specifically. God, please help Richie. God, please help Ben. God, please help name, name your friends. And pray persistently. And secondly, pursue. Don't just stop there. Every one of you, I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert, pursue them in love. Don't just pray, pursue. Seek his word and to, that they might see Jesus. Listen and pray and listen to more and study Pursue knowing God's words so that you can communicate with others. Say, I don't know what to say to them. Well, that's why you need to study more. You need to ask somebody in this church to help you. 
Get the tools and resources. Pursue this ministry by inviting people into your lives, talking with them, starting to ask them, invite them to church, invite them to Bible study or your life group that might be less intimidating or to some other event. And, and make a plan. Plan what will you do. Make a strategy, a list of things of those in your life. Make a list and ask people for help. And I already mentioned this. What books are they to read? And please talk to us elders and others in the church about this. Study the gospel. I, I try to share the gospel every Sunday while I'm preaching. Hear that. Think about it. Say, what stands out to you that I just need to understand more clearly so I can share it with others? And, and then practice it. Start by practicing it today, by praying, by, by talking to that person as you walk down the street instead of just ignoring them. Engage in conversations and say, oh God, help me to make steps towards sharing with them and inviting them into our lives. I, I, everyone in our church, I think this, this is cl- maybe an overstatement, but I don't think it is. Eve, everyone in our, church, in our church should either have people visiting faith on a regular basis because we invited them or we're, we're, looking, we're, we're in church looking at the front door to see if they came because you've already invited them. Or you're inviting them into your life by inviting them to your life group or inviting them to things because you are praying desperately for their salvation. That's what God has called you to. Let me finish with this. May we see and savor Jesus Christ, Faith Church. We we to show him off, and so I want to show you Christ. Would you would you end with this passage by will you end the sermon with joining me by looking at the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 5:21. Will you turn there? 2 Corinthians 5:21. Paul says this. He says, for our sake, he, that is God, the Father, made him, that's Jesus, the Son of God, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is your testimony if he has saved you. God the Father made Jesus to be the sin bearer, to take upon him sin, its punishment and guilt upon him. Jesus, the perfect man, the very God of God, became sin by God the Father, Jesus who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we who are saved might have an exchange. He gets our sin. We get God's righteousness in Christ. We get Christ's righteousness. That is the gospel. That is what the communion was about. That is why we gather every week. That is why we exist. It's because in the gospel, God made a way so that Jesus, the righteous holy one, the true maker of heaven and earth, over all that he might be preeminent, he came and he became a, a sacrificial lamb. He bore our griefs, as Isaiah 53 says. He was crushed for our iniquities, it says. 
The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He bore our iniquities. He bore the sins of many. He took that all upon himself. And in exchange, he didn't just make us innocent or at least like clean the slate. He gave us his righteousness so that now when God looks at us, he sees us not as we were, but he sees us that phrase, so that in him we might have the righteousness. He sees us now in this beautiful, glorious union with him. And he sees us and he says, you are so loved, you could never be more loved. There is nothing you can do that make your, you more loved because you, I supremely love you because I love you like I love my son. And there is nothing you can do to lose my love because you are secure in my son. And all of this because my son became sin on your behalf. And in exchange, you received his righteousness, a very unfair trade, and a glorious reality. This is the gospel. This is, this is the message that Jesus Christ became our substitute, that we might become the righteousness of God. And your neighbors need this. You, those who are perishing need that. They are invited to say, so be reconciled to God. Receive Jesus as master and king. Accept the message that he went to the cross and that he will give you this eternal life if you will surrender yourselves and receive him. Let's pray. Invite Dave and the worship team to come up and conclude us with song. I'd ask you to stand. Would you all stand for a minute? And as you stand, would you ask God, would you take a minute and say, God, Help me not to go without applying this sermon. I'd ask you to ask the question, God, help me to not leave and just ignore the crisis around me. And if you go, but I just don't feel it, Pastor Daniel. It's okay, just pray and say, God, please forgive me for not feeling the weight of this truth. I gotta do that all the time. We all gotta do that all the time. God, please, this... These are heavy, and I just feel so distracted by other things. Confess that to him and call to him and ask him to help you. I'd ask you to have a conversation with your spouse or your roommate or your children, with someone else in this church, and say, hey, how, how can we apply this more? Would you help me? God, I pray that you would help if there's anyone in this room that has not yet seen the light of the glory of the gospel. I pray that they would see that Christ became sin and they can receive your righteousness, his righteousness, if they will but receive Christ. God, please help them to receive Christ. I pray that we would take that message to others. Oh God, help Christ to be glorified by the making of new people in Christ through the gospel in this church. Not just the gathering of people that have already been saved. Oh God, bring life from the dead in our church as we bring others to Christ, embracing this call. In Jesus' name, amen.